0: I want to start again by a reminder that I would welcome and I'm looking for testimonies from you, if you could send them to me in whatever form, email, text me, whatever it happens to be, send me a note um, of your, an encounter that you've had with God or with his truth that has had a profound impact on you, not just in the moment, but stretches over time. And uh, I'd love it if you'd share those with me, um, if you could. So I just remind you again today, if you have one of those, please get that to me whenever you can. Um, Picking up again, using our diagram that we've been looking at in recent weeks. um, Again, for those, if you're listening in for the first time or visiting for the first time this morning, this is a series that's been going on since the first weekend in January. Um, I would encourage you to go back and pick up the ones that you haven't heard. Um, It will make more sense. But the, this idea, the diagram up here is a great commission which Jesus told us we're to go into all the world and, uh, and teach and make disciples. And so this diagram just helps maybe a little easier uh, way of picture to put that up there. And We've covered two of them. We've covered the um, life-changing uh, events. We've covered life-changing relationships last week. And this week we're going to take a look at life-changing service. Um, And a reminder that uh, that represents like a three-cylinder engine. And we've talked at different times that for an engine to actually produce the power and run smoothly the way it was designed to move and to to be efficient, all three cylinders in this situation, a three-cylinder, all three have to be working well in equal ways. And so you can't decide to skip one and have it work well. Um, Before we get further into the message, I want to start with an illustration this morning. Okay, Um, we're going to take a look at two different uh, uh, seas. I don't know how well you can see that, but let me see if I can get this to run. I know it has a pointer on it, which I think is this thing, right? Yeah, so up here you have, that's the Sea of Galilee. And if you've read through the Gospels, you'll know that a lot of the stories that we read um, occur in, some of them actually, on the Sea of Galilee. But there's your Sea of Galilee right there. Then this body of water going down through here is the Jordan River. This is in Israel, and then down here you have what's called the Dead Sea, and all those are you, you, they're listed in the Bible. They're talked about, but we, we we focus a lot more oftentimes on the Sea of Galilee because that one is the source of a lot of boat rides and things that happen on the shores of there. Now the Sea of Galilee, if you will, is an absolutely gorgeous place. It's a beautiful lake, if you will. It's 13 miles long. It's 7 miles wide. As you can see in the photos, these are all photos of the Sea of Galilee. It has a beautiful green shoreline. It's surrounded by lush foliage. It'll be one of those things that's... If you were to Google the Sea of Galilee, you'll get endless pictures of just gorgeous, beautiful landscapes. And and if you look at different things there, with mountainous hills in the background, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, It's a freshwater lake. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's actually about 200 meters, which is roughly 600 feet below sea level. So basically ocean level, this lake is 600 feet below that, okay? It's Israel's largest source of drinking water. It's filled with fish, there's a significant source of, uh, it's, a, it's significant for its commercial fishing, and actually it just thrives with life. There's, I was reading too, it says hundreds of millions of birds migrate across that lake every year in Israel. It just draws wildlife, if you will. Now, how about this now? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is 50 miles long and 11 miles wide. It's a lot larger. Its salt content is 26, it ranges from 26% salt to 35% salt. Now get this. That's 10 times saltier than ocean water. If you've been to the ocean, get that salt water in your mouth, the Dead Sea is is 10 times saltier than that. Listen to this no life exists in the Dead Sea except for bacteria. There's no fish, there are no plants. If you go to the shore, there's no salamanders or squirmy creatures or starfish or anything like that on its shores. The only thing that survives in that water is bacteria. The Dead Sea, it's interesting, there's a lot of symbolism in this as well. It's interesting, it's a Bible place, it's in the middle of Israel. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth in elevation. It's... 1300 to 1400 feet below sea level. So ocean level worldwide 1300 to 1400 feet which is quarter mile. Quarter mile below sea level. The shoreline you can see here, it's picturesque in one sense if you don't have to stay there and live there. To visit would be cool but you wouldn't want to be there and have to live there. Because on the shoreline there are no plants, there's nothing, there's no There's no lush green foliage, it's desert all around. Right on the shores all you're going to find are salt crystals from the water that evaporates, it just crystallizes. So you do get some really magnificently beautiful, if you look at pictures, it's picturesque but that's because we get to look at it from afar. It's said, they say that fish, see there's a lot of all the tributaries that come into the Dead Sea are all fresh water, all of them. And as those streams and rivers flow into it, there's fish in those streams and rivers. And if a fish inadvertently swims into the Sea of Galilee or the, the Dead Sea, it'll die almost instantaneously because of the level of salt. It just almost instantaneously will kill it. Now, interesting thing, if you take a look again those two bodies of water are actually connected. The the Jordan River flows from here down into there. The Jordan River as well is a lush valley full of life, great plains, great agriculture through there. So why the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? The Sea of Galilee up here. Obviously, if you understand how lakes work, all the water that falls, there's a mountain line through here, there's a mountain line through there, actually, and this is lower than the ocean, so all the water around these mountains in this area all drains right into there. But then the water flows, as it fills up, it spills over and feeds the Jordan River and goes down from there. So the Sea of Galilee has an outlet, the Jordan River. The Dead Sea, lowest place on earth, again, has mountains all around it. Here, All these tributaries, when the rain falls on the peaks of these mountains all along, all that fresh water, there's probably springs and stuff, they all flow into there. But you will notice one thing, and I don't have a big enough map. Like you can see on this, there, are no, there is no outlet there's no water for the way for the water to flow out of the Dead Sea. You say, well, wait a minute, there's a river right here. Watch it. See right here? It flows this way, that river does, or that creek does. And this is the same one. It flows from the peaks of the mountains down. This one again, looking here. See this one? It ends there. These end back there. They all flow in. The water doesn't flow out. There is no outlet in the Dead Sea. The only way that the water exits the Dead Sea is through evaporation. They estimate that seven million tons of water evaporates, that's 840,000 gallons of water evaporate every day out of there. Which means that's how much water, there's water coming in at an immense rate and there's a lot of water evaporating out. And that's what continues to concentrate that salt level. As the water evaporates, you know what it leaves behind? Salt, because salt doesn't evaporate. It's the same reason if you have hard water at your house and your water pools on a surface over time and it keeps evaporating off, you'll get that white cloudy stuff or the crystally green stuff or whatever it happens to be. All that is is calcium and other deposits, hard water deposits, which are minerals that precipitate out. And are left behind. It's the same thing there. That's why there is the salt content so high because it, all that fresh water evaporates back into the atmosphere to fall again as rain, but it leaves behind all the salt and the minerals that it collected as it flowed down into the lake. So what does that have to do with our spiritual life? It's not a geology lesson. It's not a, an environmental lesson. It has everything to do with this whole idea of where we've been, with this whole idea of the Great Commission and the Great Commission engine. Okay. Let's uh, continue on, and we'll continue to illustrate as we go forward. But I want to say again, um, and I think I preached a whole message on this at the very beginning of this, the whole idea, because the common thing in the Great Commission engine is what the, the thing that's repeated is what life changing. We talked a whole thing about how desperately we need life changing life, and what the source of life is. So I want to read a couple of scriptures to you, and remember remembering that John chapter seven says, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will." will uh, brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me uh, this way. Just as the scripture says. He said this in regard to the spirit whom those who believed in him were about to receive. So Jesus was saying, if people that truly believed in him and committed their life to him, rivers of living water will spring up from within them. There will be a source inside. And then in John chapter 14, it says... Jesus said, everyone who drinks the wa- this water will get thirsty again and again. And this is when he was talking to the woman at the well, and they were talking about the water that was drawn from what was called Jacob's well. And he said, anybody that drinks that water will thirst again and again. And we know how that works. If you drink a glass of water now, you're going to get thirsty a matter of hours later, or even sooner, depending on what you're doing. But then he says this, anyone who drinks the water that I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring with gushing fountains of endless life. Jesus was saying there's a spiritual water. He wasn't talking physical water. He was saying there's a spiritual water, a life-giving water that I give, that when I give, you'll never ever thirst again because it becomes a source of water from within. When we come to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, when we finally give up control of our life and give it over to God who created us, He actually does a miracle. And He creates new life within us he sends his holy spirit the promises he actually sends his holy spirit as a down payment of the eternal life that we will experience in heaven but he sends that that holy spirit to live within us which becomes a wellspring of of life itself spiritual life but i want to say this too our fresh new spiritual life that god gives us at conversion when we come to christ is not just for us the imagery that jesus used was a spring or a river of life. And I want you to think about a spring or a river for a second. It paints a picture of what? Not water that's sitting. When you think of a spring, you don't think of water that's just sitting. You might think of it bubbling out of the ground and filling a pool. And then if you let your mind go further, what happens from there? It flows away. Same thing with a river. A river doesn't sit still. Even, even a river that's big, that looks like it's, it's calm, if you can look down in it, it's great. We go up to Jacques Cartier every year in camp, and there's a spot where you can actually go out and get close to the shore, and, you, and if, the, if, the, if, the, if the light is just right, you can look out in the St. Lawrence River, and it looks like a lake, it just because it's so big. And it doesn't look like that water is moving. We've been out there in kayaks before, and when you look down in the water and you see seaweed, that seaweed is all tilted towards the, the flow of the water significantly. Now you can't see it when you look at the water. You can't see it flowing, but if you look at what's in the water or you look at that seaweed, it's bowed over like this because the current is so strong. Rivers flow. And actually whatever happens in that too is that water that comes from that river in one source or the spring that bubbles up out of of a mountain thing there doesn't provide water just for that one location. It does what? As it flows, it provides water all the way downstream as well. And it's true, if you will, spiritually speaking. God gives us new life to spiritually bless us as individuals. And it's the, most, it's the most wonderful experience that a human being can ever experience when we finally come to Christ for forgiveness of our sins and we yield our life to his ongoing work and the things he wants to do in us. It's the most powerful, exhilarating, um, satisfying experience that we can have as humans. I can't even find the words. I'm just talking now. Why do I say that? Because I've experienced it. And if you haven't given your heart to Christ, you're never going to know what that really is like until you take that leap of faith and do so. But I want to tell you that that new life is this immense, rich blessing and full. But it's also God's plan. That it's not just that I experienced that wonderful blessing. His intention was that He would give us that life and we would be richly blessed as it bubbles out but then it does what? It bubbles out and flows to other people. That's a life that we actually give away. We're to foster and do whatever we can to foster that spilling out that it brims up and flows from us. We're to give it away. Let's get a couple of scriptures. It says this in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. This is what Jesus told his disciples, the 12, when he was, he's sending them out to go and to share with people in places that he knew he was going to be heading next or out in the community and that kind of thing there. He said to go out and do these things. And he told the different things. He, basically what he's saying is do all these things in my power and my name to all the people you come into contact. And then the, the phrase at the end, you're saying, well, I haven't seen a leper recently, so I can't really heal a leper, and and demons, actually, believe it or not, the demons are out there. We just don't, we don't call them that. We don't recognize that. We're too, we're too civilized to admit that that still occurs today. But all those things that he talks about have practical application, and it's summed up in that last phrase, which is, freely you have received, freely give. What's he talking about? Freely you have received a new life. Powerful life, rich life, abundant life. You have freely been given that. You have freely received it from God Himself through Christ. You're also to what? Freely give it away to others. If you think about the the St. Lawrence River, huge. All the water, all the water from the Great Lakes flows through the St. Lawrence River. All of it. That's a lot. Think of the Great Lakes. the reason they call them the Great Lakes, they, they're, they're great, they're big, compared to other lakes throughout the world, there's, there's all, those there's five of them. They all flow, all that water finds its way out in the St. Lawrence River on its way to the ocean. It would be absurd to think that we could start pumping the water with a, let's just take a regular fire pump, which, or even one of those big ones, one of those big ones that would pump a, a thing this big. It would be absurd to think that we could tap into the water maybe up at Eisenhower Dam, way up in Messina, And just turn that pump on and think that we're going to pump the St. Lawrence River dry. Because as quick as we pump it out, what happens? More comes in. More comes in. More comes in. And the same thing's true with us. We don't ever have to worry about this idea that, well, if I give and give generously out of the life that God has given me, I'm going to be shorted in the end. That's a human way of thinking. And I can understand why we would think that way because anything else that we have in life I don't know if there's anybody that's wealthy enough right now to start thinking if they started giving all their money away that it would never run dry. I know that that's not the way my checkbook works. I could probably go through it in less than a day to give it all away very easily to people in need. God's things that he gives, are the life is limitless in supply. You could never give it all away. There would always be more to rush back in. He also said in 2 Corinthians, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles, look at this, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We usually focus a lot on that first start, that the Father of all compassion and all love who comforts us, and we automatically think that that's why he did that, but it's interesting. It says he tacks on there, so that. There's a reason he does that. And it's not that we don't receive the blessing. But if we only look at how we're blessed by the comfort that we receive, we have missed at least half, if not more of half, what the purpose of God is in our life, which is so that we can actually comfort others with the comfort that we've received. We're to take what God gives us and what he's done for us and find ways and be passionate about giving it to others in whatever way we can. I want to tell you this morning that you were made, ready? You were, that's the title of the message. You were made to serve. When God created you, he made you to serve others. And you know what? We never really find fulfillment in what we were built for until we actually come to Christ and receive that new life and give away and serve the way he intended us to. Don't get me wrong in this message this morning as I continue further. There are many, many organizations in our world today that give a lot away. And that try to help people that are in need. But I'm going to tell you right now, it meets a physical need. But if, there's this, if the idea of spiritual life is not involved in that, it's something that will all burn up because it has no lasting significance. It fills someone's stomach but does not meet the real need of the soul. It might put a roof over somebody's head. But that house is going to burn up when it comes to eternity and it hasn't found a residence for their eternal soul. And so it's very important as Christians that we recognize that we, we can serve in the community, which we should. We and We can serve in other secular organizations that do good things. But God's idea of service is much larger than that. It does meet physical needs, but at the same time it also meets spiritual needs. And if you look at the miracles of Jesus Christ, there's always a spiritual portion in them, even when he feeds the 5,000. There's a lesson that goes driven home to the disciples. There's a spiritual nature. So he did both at the same time. Now to some scripture. If you want to be first, you need to be last. In Mark, recorded, Jesus says this, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Take a look at that one in, in the message translation. So you want first place? Then take the last place. Be the servant of all. As humans, we want to be first. Teachers, especially with little kindergartners and first graders. When's the last time one of your kids came to class and said, Teacher, teacher, can I be last in line? I remember we used to argue in... It was, it was a dangerous thing when it was time to line up at the door, because everybody sprinted at the door because they wanted to be first. And actually there were some pushing and shoving matches that occurred at the front of the line. I don't know if that still happens in school today, that was a long time ago, but I know that tough. And you know how the teachers used to do that? They would assign a line leader for the week. end of discussion. And that was wisdom. Humans have a tendency to want to be first. We strive to be the best. In every one of us, there's something in there. Who's the last person who says, you know what, I want to be the worst in my job today. We might get to that spot because of failures, but no little kid ever starts out saying, I want to be the worst person on the baseball team, or I want to be the worst on the math test at school today. They all start out wanting to be the best, but when consistent failure occurs, many back off and deny that part of them on the inside. As humans, we strive to win at all costs. We want to be perceived as the person who's successful. Jesus tells us that if that's what we really are longing to do, and that actually creeps over into our spirituality, as we walk with God, we want to be the best. We want to be on the winning team. We want to be deemed as successful from God's eyes. Jesus said, I'll tell you how to do that. If you want to be first... If you want to be the best in the kingdom of God, if you want to be the most successful and influential person in the kingdom of God, then you need to become the servant of all. He also said this, if you want to become great, be a servant. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? I hope you want to be great in the kingdom of God. I hope that you don't come into this Christian thing and say, I just want to be nominal. I want to be average. Jesus doesn't want us to have that attitude. He wants us to, he wants us to, to rise up. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. In fact, sometimes we get the idea of greatness and, and we look at it in a wrong way, but it's better to want to excel than it is to not have anything because Jesus actually does a lot of correction of us in this situation. He says, you want to be great? Is that your goal? He understood human beings. He said, "Then learn to be the slave or a servant. You want to be successful and pleasing in God's eyes, and I sure hope you do. And I realize that in our culture and in our world, with so many hurts and things like that, and striving to fit in, that our idea of being pleasing and successful—well, God loves me no matter what, not what, no matter what, which is true, and He takes me where I am, which is all true. But there should be a part of us, as we walk closer and closer with God, that we want to be successful and pleasing." Not from a human perspective in the eyes of God, but in His eyes. That when He looks down, that He's able to look on us and see that we're succeeding in what He built us to be. That when He looks as He's pleased, not because we've earned anything, but because we're walking out our life in a way that He designed us to. God calls you and I to servanthood. He calls us to give individual attention to other people. He's designed us and planned for us to have affection for others. And we talked about this. Remember that we love God with our whole being, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. He intends to do a transforming work in our life where we actually develop his heart, and out of that his heart is his love for other people, which compels us to want to do compassionate and loving things for them. That we actually develop a devotion to meet the needs of others. That we can't help ourselves that we can't help walking by somebody in need or hearing somebody in our church family or our neighbor who has actually had something bad happen, and we can't keep ourselves from making a phone call or going and visiting and being a part of what they need to help. Jesus is the best example. To what lengths did Jesus go to show his love and to serve and to meet the needs of people? He gave his life to meet the biggest need, which is forgiveness us sins so we could spend eternity in heaven. We're to answer the needs of others. He's built us that way. To furnish and supply what they lack. And even sometimes what they desire. We're to find ways to provide services and benefits that would help them spiritually speaking. I'm not ignoring the fact that we're also called to, 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 to clothe people, to help people have adequate housing and to, and to, to counsel those that are hurting to to feed people. We're to do all those things there, but as Christians, we need to be very careful that we don't stop there. Because if we do, we've ignored their biggest need, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. And all of those things actually meet the physical need, but they become a bridge to meet the big need, which is Jesus Christ. Actually, controversy now. God calls me and you to be a slave. And that is a dirty word. It's an awful word. And increasing on our culture, it's even more maligned than ever before. It's always been bad. When I went to elementary school back in the, in the 70s, slavery was not cool. It was not good. It was always something that, ooh, can't believe they did that. And it's still that way. But yeah, God says that we're supposed to be slaves. Let me give you a little background on that. Do you realize that you are owned by God? You may not acknowledge his ownership, but he owns you. He created you. And a creator who makes something owns that until somebody else buys it or steals it. Sin, if we go that way and we reject God, we have willingly given up the ownership and giving it, ready, to the evil side. And we'll spend eternity in hell if we don't get rectified. We all have that, 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 that process. But I want to share more now that what happens, how God, he owned us at the beginning, he gave us the ability to choose what we want to do with our life, and we can walk away from him, and then we're separated. And we're a slave then to what? Not to God, but to sin. Bible uses that language. When we choose to walk separate from God, we're a slave to sin. And it's our master. We're, it's, it's great that we, I'm preaching this now, which you know, next week we'll have communion to celebrate the blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. We're almost to Easter. We've been talking about that, the death on a cross. The cross is how God bought ownership back. You say, that's crazy. He owned in the first place. Why in the world would he allow that to happen? There's a lot more going on than just our human brains grasp and understand. There's a whole spiritual world and a battle that rages. We will understand much more when we cross from this life into the next. It will all make sense then. But God bought us back by the blood of his own son. The wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. The shedding of blood. And in that situation, his perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God, his shed blood, is enough to buy back people from sin, if they'll choose it. And when we come to Christ for forgiveness of sin, what we willingly do at that spot, we willingly walked away, but we willingly come back and make God our owner again. And then we spend the rest of our Christian walk while on earth figuring out what it means to be a slave of God. He is our master. He's the one that's supposed to dictate what we do and don't do. Okay, I'm going to read a a quote here for you. In Greco-Roman society, which was the society that Jesus walked the earth in, a slave was looked upon as a purchased commodity. This was the lowest strata in the social order. A slave lacked the dignity which comes from being a free man. A slave possessed no rights. He lived in total dependence upon his master for necessary provisions, and for this reason could suffer cruelty at the hands of an unjust master. Slaves, nonetheless, were not necessarily kept in positions of subject or object subordination. They often served in situations of great responsibility with rank and privilege, and were not infrequently well cared for. What we have done, and I understand why, and I would agree that it's what we need to focus on in slavery in the world today, is all the negatives. But there's another side to slavery. And we have not focused on that at all. That's why these verses that are scriptural and biblical, to be a slave of God, are so hard for us to swallow and to accept. There were... Slaves that were actually treated very fairly, very justly, that were extremely well cared for and had great power, great authority, and great position in their daily life. And it wasn't just um, managing their master's household. It often went into actually managing some of the things that their master was responsible for in the community. Okay? Okay. So much so you're aware if you read your Bible that in Bible times there was a clause that every, I think it was every seven years, slaves went free. Every seven years, slaves went free. And if they got themselves into poverty or made bad choices or whatever happens again, they could be sold back, they could sell themselves back into slavery, but every seven years they became free. But there was a clause, and there were people that chose this clause that if they chose, because they were well-treated, and they loved their master and their master provided well and they 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 actually had responsibility and all those wonderful things they're saying i've lived both ways but i'm and i'm better off a slave to this master than i was as a free man the bible says they would declare that i don't want to go free and the ceremony was they would take them to the doorpost and pierce their ear through their lobe of their ear with an awl and a ring goes in that marks them that they were owned by that person for life. And the person made that choice. It wasn't like slavery in this country where they literally would brand a person against their will. These people in Bible times made that choice because they felt that their life was better that way. I want to tell you, God is a just master. And we, it, it, it isn't even right to even begin to compare how he treats us in that slave-master relationship with any other human relationship there is because there's nothing like God. God is totally just. God absolutely cares for those that he asks to become slaves. They are, as a slave of God we are so far better off than if we maintained our freedom to do whatever we want. There's no comparison. I realize that in my own personal life, I willingly, and I want to be a slave of my master. You know why? Because I have tried to walk my life out as what the world will call a free man, making my own choices. And it did not take me very long to realize that walking that way compared to being a slave of the Most High no comparison. My life was rotten when I managed my own ship. And when I try, maybe once in a while, to stray and try to manage something instead of doing the thing that God wants me to do, I'm reminded very quickly of how poor and how awful that life is. Letting God call the shots is the best thing that ever happened to me. God provides for us and gives us vast responsibilities. Think about this for a second. <clears throat> I've yielded my life to God. What responsibility has He given me? He didn't shut me off on a door somewhere. He didn't shut my mouth. Being a servant and a slave of God Most High has been a platform for Him to use my mouth my whole life to influence others on His behalf. He actually calls us ambassadors that we're His representative in the world. The, the Bible is full of those things, and at the same time, we're slaves. He calls us friends. He calls us co-laborers. He calls us his children. There's a lot of analogies. So don't get hung up just on the slave. It's part of the package. And they all are meaningful. Scripture goes on and tells us that we're to honor God with our lives. He says this in 1 Corinthians. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. And because of that, honor God with your bodies. God bought you back from your previous master, which was sin. You may or may not acknowledge the power and the hold that sin had on your life, but I tell you, it was powerful. Many of you would say that. Yeah, I no longer could control my behaviors. I I couldn't stop certain activities. I was incapable of that. But God rescued you from that. He bought you back from that slavery to sin. And the price? He bought you at a price? The price was the blood of his very son, dying a brutal death on the cross. And he says, once we catch that, the res- only proper response is to honor God, to recognize Him as great, important, and excellent, to exalt Him to the place of honor that He truly deserves, and to glorify Him and honor for Him, not just in our words, but in our actions and our deeds. And actually, one of the ways that we honor Him the most with our bodies is using our bodies, physical bodies, our mental bodies, and our spirit man to do the thing that is the most important to God's heart, which is meeting the spiritual needs of people around us. So You might ask this question. What if we choose not to serve? I'm going to be a Christian, but that service thing, that's the piss in the engine, I'll just let go. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a follower of Christ and you choose not to serve, you make a decision that I, I'm not ready for that yet or I can't do that or, or for whatever excuses we use, we will become like the Dead Sea. There'll be lots of water coming in, lots of fresh, spiritual, life-giving water that comes in, but no water will go out. And the actual, the spiritual life that you hoard over time will become less and less and less tasteful to those around you. When's the last time you walk up to a scum-filled pond, brackish brown water, and said, mm, I can't wait to take a drink." Doesn't happen, does it? You'd have to be pretty thirsty. You know what I'm talking about—the frog pond. It's got this, the green scum covers the whole thing. You have to be pretty thirsty to dive into that baby and start swatting the water up. Or worse yet, you come across the body of water that's got a dead deer in it. And you jump in that. You'd be pretty thirsty to drink that water because you know it's going to make you sick. When we fail to live a life of service and have an outflow of what God brought in, over time, the water of spiritual life flows in, but our, the stuff that pours out of us becomes less and less and less and less satisfying to those that are in need. Spiritual life that we hoard becomes less and less effective in fostering life for others. And I would even say this, and I'll use Fred's quote from last week: "It's not that the stuff that comes out of us isn't better than the trash that comes from a person who doesn't know Christ, but unfortunately, when we name the name of Christ and we we're not we're not letting that water have its life in us, or we're hoarding it for ourselves, it can become stinky and stale and kind of nasty and and." It just gives more excuses for people. Why would I want to drink that? You were meant to receive spiritual life and you were also meant to have it flow through you to others. You were meant to allow that life, that spiritual water to nourish, to create, to sustain and grow vibrant spiritual life within you, but you were also meant to let that spiritual water, spiritual life flow out of you to others to help them grow in their spiritual life. And we often call that serving others. So what does service look like? What does service look like? Oh, <laughs> how do you answer that question? It's not because it's unanswerable. It's like, well, where do I start? I'm just going to start listening. It's, it's meeting the needs of others. So that they can grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's praying for someone who's in need or hurting so they'll draw closer to Christ and receive the comfort that they need. It's being there to listen to somebody, to give advice to someone who's going through tough days where you don't just listen, you do listen, but you're listening with the compassion of Christ and encouraging that it's going to be okay because God will take care of it. It's sharing what God has done in your life with others. In other words, not just, I'm just going to love them. Great, but open your mouth. Share the good things that God's done for you. Let them know that there is hope, that you've been where they've been and you're, not, you're, you're still on a journey, but God has met your need and he'll meet theirs too. It's using your abilities and your skills. And now I'm talking about your physical skills and your physical abilities or your mental skills and mental abilities. Using those things to further God's kingdom. That can mean getting out amongst people and using that and using that as a platform to share the good news of Jesus. Or if your neighbor who doesn't know how to handle their computer and you're in trouble and you can do that, you walk over there and the reason you do it really is because you love them and you want to build a bridge as well to meet spiritual need. It's doing whatever you can to help other people grow as disciples. And when I say whatever you can, Jesus even said once, it's probably maybe a misapplication of the verse. He said this, even a person who gives a cup of cold water in a prophet's name receives a prophet's reward. And so when you go and meet somebody's physical need and you're doing that because you're real, what you're really interested in is you're interested in meeting that need because God's interested in that missing need but you also recognize that they have other needs as well which are spiritual and your heart's cry is God. Meet that need physically but also build a bridge somehow so they can catch God's love. Direct face-to-face interaction with others is central to serving. We say it again. Direct face-to-face interaction with others is central to serving. All of it in the name of Jesus. And so that the person you interact with grows closer to Jesus. There are ways that you can serve that allow people to be discipled. You may not directly be the disciple or helping them grow, but you might be able to do something that helps that process. And does that make? I don't know if that makes sense, though. The idea, you don't always have to be the person that's teaching the person or training the person or praying for the person. You might find yourself in a service role that makes that possible for that person. And that's just as important as the person does the prayer, does the teaching, and that kind of thing. And I want to use some examples. I hesitate to do so. Let me, let me bounce to the end here, and then I'll come back to some other. it. do this in different order. Um, So we've said this before, what does serving others look like? You have places you frequent regularly, the grocery store, the convenience store, I'd say the gas station, but most of us stand out and pump gas and we don't ever see the attendant inside anymore. But if you do go inside, it's the same person that works there all the time. And, 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 and what does serving that attendant look like? Instead of them there to take your money and to do their customer service, what does it mean to serve them? How do you, and, and I'm not saying you go in there and you, you give them a track, you might do that, you, or go in there and, and do all these things there, but you probably start, like we talked about before, there's power in prayer, you pray for that person regularly, and then you start working at, how can I brighten their day today? And then as you take those steps, how do I brighten their day? How do I brighten their day and somehow find a way to encourage them that life can be better? Strike up a friendship, of all things, with the clerk. Those are ideas of service. It can help the person take steps in their discipline. Let me give you another example. Abundant Life Camden, which Brian Lynch has been here and preached before. He's, uh, he's the, 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 the head of North Country Ministry Fellowship. Their church, there's there's... I don't even know the name of the town. It's out in the middle of nowhere between Plasky and Camden. If you take that road back through there, that goes off of, you get off of 81 and you go down through towards Camden, the back way. Um, they, in a small town there, they bought a building. And I think it was just a old building. They renovated it over. And they started a I'm gonna, a grocery store. And what they actually had come across is they found some avenues where they came across lots of produce and grocery items that are about ready to be outdated. And they get them at significantly reduced prices. They opened up a grocery store, and it's interesting where they picked. They picked out in a rural town, small town that probably maybe is, I don't know if it's a tough tough time or whatever, it doesn't really matter, but they picked that spot there. And then they open up this grocery store, and they purchase all the groceries, and people come in, and are able to buy groceries at a significantly, like, tremendously reduced price. And the story goes like this. People come in and like they get like boxes of bananas that are just about done. And they need to get rid of them. So they, they get these things on a daily basis and, or however it happens. And so a person comes in and they've gone through and done their shopping. So oh, you need some bananas. And I don't really want any bananas. Or I, you know, I'm afraid of it. Here, just let me give you some bananas. because it, it, So it's, a, it's not a way for the church to make money. They're probably not even covering their expenses. And it's fully staffed by people in their church that are doing it as an outreach, It's a whole idea of a a bridge, if you will, of meeting physical need and ways to open up people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another example of a way that we could do that here um, uh, is Dylan did a a Sunday school class on finances and, and Kurt just did one on social media. And, Kurt's talking about we're getting ready to, when he comes back, I think they're going to try to do a showing of, the, of the, the video that he talked about and referred us to oftentimes there. We're going to show it here. Those are opportunities not just for us that have heard the teaching, but for people from our community saying, we're watching, them. there's a video that we're going to show at church that talks about the date, some of the stuff with social media and how it impacts young people and adults in our culture. Come and listen. Those things can be that. Dylan had somebody request right after he got done, is it possible for us to do a Dave Ramsey financial course here? And through contacts he's had, he's had other people on his job that said, I'd like to go to that. Those things can all be, they meet a physical need in people, of information, if you will, but they can also be, we have to recognize they're all bridges as well to share a deeper need than just financial counseling, which is spiritual. So you have all of those things, and it's, and it's limitless. There's so many things we could do. Now, back on other what else does service look like? Well, service can be doing something that allows somebody else to be in a spot where they can actually engage in being discipled, whether they know it or not. Okay, Church is full of service opportunities. Although the service opportunities in church are never an excuse or a substitute for face-to-face interaction with people outside the four walls of the church who need to hear about Jesus Christ. There are things that you can do that can help others in our church family receive discipleship training, if you will, or, or that. You could serve in the nursery. You say, well, how does that fit? <laughs> well, if you answer that question, how does that help to be able to receive discipleship training? You've never had kids. When you have young ones, you come to church and sometimes you wonder, why do I go to church? Because I get nothing out of it. And I'm not sure my kids do either because it's constantly trying to herd the cats to keep them in line so that explosions don't occur. We offer nursery care so that people can drop the little ones up to five years' age off. Or four years of age, whatever that age is. So that what? So the parents might have an hour or half an hour or 45 minutes until somebody comes in and says the baby needs to get diaper changed or they have to go to the potty or whatever else. You get uninterrupted time to be able to think and talk. And so your service in the nursery can help somebody really be able to receive what God has for them. You can serve in the library. You can serve in the library. You say, how does that do? Our library is, I can't say enough, our library is packed with wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. We've become a culture that doesn't read because we spend so much time reading blurbs and headlines on our phones. We don't read books. Treatises that are meaningful. Serve in the library. You can serve on the worship team. We take it for granted. Come every week, we have great music. Not just great music, but it's got a message in it and it ministers to us. You can serve there. You can serve on the coffee team. See, how does that have to do with anything? I I don't know what it is about coffee other than the fact that it makes us jittery and gets us alive. uh, But there's even decaf out there which doesn't do that. There's something about having something like that that allows people to interact with one another, which is powerful. But somebody's got to do that work. And it's good if it's not just one. You could serve as a Sunday school teacher or as an aide. As our Sunday school classes grow, there may be needs for not just to teach, but to have an extra body in the room to help keep order. What you do there is you also then, that's a double one there, because you're actually discipling children. Building, that's my prayer coming in. During Sunday school today, God, can you continue to help our people in the junior department to pour into these kids so that they gain a foundation on biblical truth? could serve in good news clubs when the schools will allow that to happen again. That's where you get to go right into the school itself and teach a Sunday school class to the kids we do, bevel school. But we actually have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those kids week in and week out. How about this one? Stretch you could serve a home group by attending and giving of yourself. I'm not saying leading it, just be there. We have some current needs in church. We really, really, really could use some help with the AV and people immediately get intimidated. Can you run a computer? Not program a computer. Do you know how to navigate a computer? then you can do AV. And right now we're short on that to the point where we're a little nervous that we might burn out the people we have, which is not what we want. You say, how does that happen? All of those things allow information to go forth, which actually has a thing there. If you want to do AV, you can talk to my wife. Coffee person is a dev, was mentioned last week. She mentioned last week again, it was announcements that they could use extra help. Library workers. Where's Teresa? Is she in the bill room or is she out doing nursery? She might be off serving. There she is in the back. Teresa. Crazy Teresa was talking. Shame on her. Teacher caught her. Whoa. <laughs> she she man's our, she's been the back there and you heard her talk and stuff. She does the library. He's the person there. I have a new one. Never said before. I could use somebody who likes to edit things. I do a little bit of writing, I write a devotional every week. I try to write, I haven't done, I apologize leaders, I do a letter to leadership every month, but March isn't gonna happen. But I can get the content out, but like when I was in college, I really could use somebody that does editing work, which just simply means reading it through and reworking my run on sentences and all those things. If you wanna do that, let me know. Media design, just found out this week, uh, my daughter-in-law Mallory who does all of our slides and and does some of that kind of stuff there she's the one that dresses up the devotional so they're not visually boring like they would be if i did them you say what difference does that make it just it's a nice it adds life it makes it in some ways too it organizes them so that it's easier to grab the information which all they you say you're really splitting hairs these aren't really ser-. yes they are serving they all have impact in their own little way we could use some help in that area. It's not hard. We actually have a program that gives you all the fancy design stuff automatically done for. You just need to have an eye to plug that in. I'm sure that the sound people would be willing to have extra help back in the sound booth. I'm sure that the, the live stream, which is current, would could use extra help there on the rotation in time. The list never ends. And the other thing I want to say this too, When I talked about the Camden Church and the Dave Ramsey class, here's the other thing I want to challenge you on. I am absolutely convinced that there are ideas out there. That you have ideas of ways that you could or we could together could develop things that would serve and bring the gospel to people. Directly, indirectly, as bridges all those things there. But if you never open your mouth and share the idea, that idea may never come forth. You cannot wait for somebody else to have the idea that you have because God put it on your heart and on your mind. And I encourage you to share that. Will we be able to do them all at once? Probably not. But the idea is as we start to hear those things of building all those kinds of things because we said at the beginning, we want to be a church that works together to fulfill the Great Commission. We want to be all about making life change possible spiritually for people. Which includes all the service opportunities. So one of our responsibilities as spiritual leaders is to equip and help and empower everyone to do the things that they're gifted and skilled to do in acts of service. Here's my quote for you. We need to leave our comfort zones to enter our reach zones. Leave our comfort zones to enter as each zones. You know what leaving your comfort zone might be? Just being bold enough to share an idea. I've been surprised sometimes. I maybe have known somebody for two or three years and interacted in a lot of ways, and then two or three years later, I've thought for a long time that we should do this. I'm like, wow, that's not something that started yesterday. Why don't those ideas come out? Sometimes it's hard and, and to be vulnerable. All of our serving, whatever it looks like, should come from a heart that desires to see other people come closer to God. That's the test. Our service should always have as motivation to help others come closer to Christ. So as we close with a reminder, and a call to action. Remember the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea after today? Remember the Sea of Galilee? Water flowing in, water flowing out. Teeming with life, that's the way we're supposed to be. Spiritual life emanating from within, spilling out to others, teeming with life, the shorelines of our being, our reach zone, has all kinds of life around it. Also, the challenge, don't be the dead Sea. Always taking, always receiving, and never giving, and never serving. And finding that the aura around is actually not full of life, but actually more death. We need, I need, you need, we need input, and we also need output, spiritually speaking. What's God calling you to do? what brought excitement to you today what has god nudged you in what has he reminded you of today i want to spend just a couple of just a short time in prayer before they close with a song quietly to dedicate ourselves to serve to ask god to show you where you could serve not just in church but in life in general and church included Then commit yourself to stepping out into what he's led you in today. Whatever he's nudged you, whatever he's encouraged you, whatever has been exciting to you, commit yourself to step out, asking him for strength and power and confidence and boldness to bring him glory and honor in that thing. I have one other thing I want to read before we go to prayer. This, this This was read at the Synergy Worship Night. Above all, a heart for God and his love for the unsaved. Specific thing that kept coming again and again as I asked God to show me what he wanted to say is this. What's in your hand? That's something God said to Moses when God sent him to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Moses was sure that God was making a mistake in sending him. Who am I that I should do this? I can't speak very well, God. Please send somebody else. That's often how we feel when we consider that the Bible tells us that each one of us is called to reach out to unbelievers with the good news of the sacrifice of Jesus to take away our sin. When God said to Moses, what's in your hand? Moses answered a staff. He had a stick, probably a shepherd's crook, likely a very ordinary thing. And as you know, God used that seemingly ordinary thing to accomplish many extraordinary things. Each one of us is a unique creation of God and he wants to use us to reach the people around us People we know, neighbors, co-workers, extended family, and people we don't. A cashier at your favorite grocery store, a nurse at the pediatrician's office, a person in the waiting room with you when your car is being serviced. God used the staff in Moses' hands. What will he use that's in your hand, in the person that he's made you to be? We can't take a cookie-cutter approach to evangelism. We are the body of Christ, and we reflect Christ in many different ways. What might be some ways God could use ordinary things in our lives to meaningfully show his love and his care for those around us? Even behind a mask, your smile is evident because it shows up in your eyes. It can brighten somebody's day and leave a deposit of Christ's love. A gift of fruit or a plate of cookies for the young family near you can leave a good taste in their mouths long after the food is eaten. When someone's having a difficult day, are you willing to take a couple minutes to intently listen to them and offer to pray for them? As people encounter even a smidgen of Christ through us, a foundation is beginning to be laid that the Holy Spirit can use to draw them to repentance from sin and to the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I want to spend just a couple of minutes quiet before the Lord, each one of us, that you talk to God about these things and either ask him to show you and then as he shows you to commit yourself and asking for his help in doing these things. Oh Lord, we we uh, we come to you and, and ask you to help us to uh, I guess I, help us to be able to have all three pistons of our spiritual life firing properly. Lord, I pray that we would have life changing events and we seek those out in our lives. That we would recognize and pursue life-changing relationships with other followers of Christ and that we'd also give ourselves to life-giving service that waters us, energizes us, but more importantly is the outflow that you so intend to bless others around us. Lord, I pray that you would um, release, release us Lord, you already have, but help us to recognize that that's what you're calling and that's what you've designed us to do. Help us to recognize the importance to be serving, to serve others, to find ways to share the good news, to find ways to help meet the needs of others as bridges, to find ways to to remove obstacles in people's lives by our service, Lord, so that they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and, and be taught and trained. Lord, help us to look at our lives and the things that we have to offer, Lord. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd bind the hand of the enemy that tries to convince that we've got nothing to offer anyone because that's not true. Lord, help us to to slow our lives down enough so that we're not so busy that we never have the opportunity to interact with others or to give of ourselves for the benefit of the kingdom. Lord, help us to remember the illustrations. Help us to be the Sea of Galilee with an outflow and an inflow and bringing life along the way. And Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would keep us from becoming the Dead Sea, where we receive, 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 and are consumers, but never give, but never serve. Lord, I trust that that you will strengthen us to step out of our comfort zones and into our reach zones, that you will give creative ideas, that you would embolden us and give us confidence to step out and be vulnerable to share ideas, to step out and make a priority of doing the things that we can to help and to be a part of what you're doing, to join with you. Lord, we look forward to what you would do with an army of servants that have the heart of God that not only want to meet the physical need, but desperately want to see the spiritual need met as well. Help us to navigate that well. We look forward to what you'll do in us and through us And Lord, I pray that we would be good servants and good slaves in your workforce. In Jesus' name, amen.